Does your company message resonate with your ideal clients and prospects, or does it fall flat? Are marketing and sales saying the same thing, or are they confusing the marketplace? How can you get aligned? Today, we're coached by Jim Carr, author of The Science of Customer Connections, on how to align our message. Are you ready to accelerate the growth of your business? Welcome to the Revenue Growth Podcast. This is the place for business owners, sales leaders, and marketing professionals to get ideas and inspiration to drive exponential revenue growth. Each week, you'll get actionable insights from the world's leading marketing and sales thought leaders and practitioners. Are you ready to grow? Let's join our host, Daryl Amy, author of Revenue Growth Engine. Welcome back to the Revenue Growth Podcast on C-Suite Radio, the world's largest business podcast network. I'm your host, Daryl Amy, trailblazer and growth architect. We've got to get it done in 2021. And a key way to drive success is to ensure marketing and sales are aligned. That's why we launched the 2021 Sales and Marketing Alignment Challenge. Companies that work to align marketing and sales see results. If you missed the challenge, no worries. We're releasing some of the content on the Revenue Growth Podcast over the coming weeks. However, if you want to get all of it, you can catch the recordings at www.2021alignmentchallenge.com or simply text the word ALIGNMENT to 21000. You'll also get access to bonus sessions we'll do throughout the year. One of the sponsors of the challenge was the Outbound Conference. And if you're in sales, you don't want to miss this incredible opportunity to upgrade your skills and your motivation. At the conference, you'll be trained by the best in the business, including Jeb Blunt, Victor Antonio, Larry Levine, Jim Carr, and yours truly, and many, many more. Check out www.outboundconference.com to get your in-person or virtual ticket and use the code ALIGNMENT100 to get $100 off. Today, we're going to talk about your message. Does your message resonate with your customers and prospects? Are sales and marketing saying the same thing to the marketplace? Many times, they're not, and this confuses prospects and customers, slowing down sales and costing you money. Today, we're going to hear from Jim Carr. He's the co-host of the 2021 Sales and Marketing Alignment Challenge. He's also the author of The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message, Grow Your Business. Jim will coach us on the three areas we need to consider to make sure our message is both effective and aligned. This session is powerful and practical, so grab a pen and a notepad and get ready to learn from Jim after a word from our sponsors. Fantastic. And you know, when you look at all of this opportunity to communicate and respond, Jim, to leads, uh, to clients, to uh, our prospects, all of this, it really is critical that we have a good message. <laughs> good is not the right word. There's so many adjectives you could put in front of how important the message is in an organization. It does need to be good and good means certain things. If you want to have good selling conversations, a good growth conversation, it doesn't necessarily mean 
overly clever or overly intellectual or overly anything. It just need to be uh, conversational, clear. Um, it needs to be relevant to whomever you're speaking with. We'll get into those those details and and the unfortunate areas where a lot of businesses get stuck and their message gets off track. Well, check this out. This this piece of data, I'm curious how this resonates with everybody uh, that's that's watching here live or, or later on. This was some interesting research um, by, and Jim, you say the name of this company so much better because it's- Oradium. Uh, then this comes a, a gentleman named, uh, who's a, a wonderful Brit who now lives in the States named Tim Pollard. So he has this voice, he calls it Oratium. Very nice. Sounds sounds fantastic. <laughs> but I love, you know, this is, I, I've seen this play out over and over again. It's like 8.1 out of 10 in terms of what we sell. Does it deliver? Is it a good product? Are we a great company? Yeah, absolutely. Our message? E, 3.9. Right. And this is on a scale of confidence. So mm -hmm. uh, Tim and his group had surveyed a group of B2B sellers, and they tend to operate in higher value type solutions where the conversation is really important. So whether it's technology or talent management or manufacturing or, or professional services. And I, that was really striking. There's always we're, we're struggling with this gap between the value that we know we offer to the right buyer? And then how confident are we in talking about it? And how confident is everyone on the team in talking about it? So these are high performing salespeople in the B2B space who say, while our solutions aren't perfect, none of them are, but more than eight on a one to 10 scale, mm -hmm. we're confident with the right, with right buyer and right use, our, our stuff works. It's right. good. But then on that same scale of confidence is how confident are you in the messaging behind what you offer? And it's less than four on a one to 10 scale. Daryl, that's not just a gap. That is the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and uh, so we see, uh, as Daryl Prail mentioned in that video just a moment ago from Vanilla Soft, it's, it's you, you have leads, you have opportunities, you have people that you want to speak with. So what are you going to say? That's which right. stories are you going to share? Which questions to ask? What are you going to do? And if you're not confident in it, you'll either fall back on a bad message or you won't engage at all, which was the kind of thing that will drive you a blunt nut. So we can talk to him about that later in the <laughs> series. So that's uh, what we're solving for. Well, and that's what we need to aim at right now. And, and as we get ready for today's session, you know, this is all about communication and, and you know, salespeople uh, in the room, sales leaders in the room, marketing leaders in the room. Um, this is one, if you're here by yourself, you need to grab your counterpart and uh, bring them in the room right now or, or watch this later together. Because I've seen over and over again, I've seen time after time where marketing says one thing. And I've been in sales roles where I've showed up at a customer's office and I didn't even know about what marketing was going to say, let alone the market. The message was totally different. We got to get aligned. So when I thought about aligning the message, Jim, I couldn't think of anyone better than our special guest today, Jim Carr. And Jim, yeah, I go, that's me. Uh, Jim, <laughs> I came across Jim's book uh, a while back. And this is uh, The Science of Customer Connections, Managing Your Message to Grow your business. And when I see grow your business, you know, that's music to my ears. Uh, we're all about growth. And, um, and I want to just uh, 
highly, first of all, Jim, to everyone in the audience, well, I highly recommend this book. This is a book that I've got some books that uh, I said on LinkedIn this morning are bleeding with highlighters, dog-eared all over the place and have coffee spilled on them because, you know, they're just one of those books that is so valuable and the science of customer connection is a true gift to all of us. So without my, my friend, if you need another copy, I'll send you one. Okay? <laughs> That's good. Well, you were kind enough to sign this one for me yes. and autograph it. So thank you for that. But seriously, uh, without further delay, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Jim Carr. And please don't hold the doctor part against me. We'll get to that that part as well. It's it's really, Daryl, I really appreciate the opportunity. And we're going to treat this as a conversation very much as well. So I want to go through a few of those sticking points, the areas that lead to that terrible Grand Canyon gap, the 8.1 versus the 3.9, the confidence in what we have to offer versus how we talk about it individually and as a team and with our sales team and, and even wider than that. It is, I find, unfortunately common that there is that gap that exists in a business. And as you mentioned earlier, Daryl, this is in smaller businesses where you might have a few people in different roles, uh, or it could be in bigger organizations where you have a lot of silos and, and a lot of separation by, by function. Uh, there will be a few things today. I have one cheap prop. I don't have slides. I want to just walk you through a few points. Uh, I do recommend there are a few things that you might write down in notes. And uh, here, here's the first one is the symptoms that you have a messaging issue that needs to be addressed if you're going to hit your growth goals. And what I find are the three most common symptoms. I call them the three C's because they, they all begin with the letter C. They are commodity, crickets, and cowboys. Commodity, crickets, and cowboys. I'll talk about each uh, here briefly. But what I, what I tend to find is first on the, on the commodity side is there's a message that everything just kind of sounds the same. And a lot of the, the symptoms with the, that will show up that you may have an issue there is we lack competitive differentiation. We sound like our competitors. We can't break out of the noise. We're treated as a vendor rather than as an expert or as an advisor in, in what we offer. And that can show up in lower win rates, lower margin, all the bad effects of being treated as a commodity rather than having uh, some special characteristics of what you offer and some special value. Uh, the second one is crickets. The crickets are chirping. That means growth is hard. Uh, I grew up in a small town in the southern half of Georgia, and it was very common that on uh, summer evenings you could hear the crickets chirping. That's because absolutely nothing else was going on. When we think about when the crickets are chirping in your business, that's a bad thing. That means growth is hard to come by. And oftentimes I see it uh, where in a, in a bigger organization, if you have a big sales team, uh, there's too much pressure on a few high performers. The president's club members are pulling in all the business or the sales leader is the one that has to provide the opportunities or get called in to try to close the deal. It's dependent on a few people. If in a smaller business, that can often be the boss or the founder. They, they can get frustrated by this and you can't really scale opportunities if you don't have enough people who are equipped and confident to be able to share the message and build more opportunities for you. 
The third one is cowboys, could be cowgirls these days, but it's uh, the spirit of autonomy. And there are a lot of things about the cowboy mentality that we like. People who are confident, who are not afraid to stray and do things their own way. They're innovative and that's great, except when we're inconsistent. If you have a lot of different people uh, doing it their way, they have a different message out in the marketplace. When you have inconsistency between what's online and what's offline, between the things that are going out from marketing to try to establish your position and get you more opportunities to what salespeople are saying or not saying in their, in their conversations. And then the inconsistencies across people. When that happens, you lose credibility, you lose trustworthiness. And so uh, the cowboy mentality needs to be reined in a little bit. You can't scale and you can't build trustworthiness on the back of inconsistency. I had one, uh, one CEO of a, a mid-sized business was talking to me about this one time uh, early on in the process and just how that was playing out with his team. And he said, Jim, I had this feeling that if you walked out the door to my office, we were actually in an office at the time and went down the hallway and down into some of our facilities and the first 10 employees, if you ask them, what's our value proposition or what type of customer do we best serve? Name one great thing that we do. Of those 10 people, five would probably give you the deer in the headlights look and wouldn't <laughs> know what to say. The other five people would probably tell you five different things. That was a terrible frustration and it was showing up in their new opportunities, their win rates, their close rates, their margins, all of those indicators of our success in reaching our growth goals. So that is un, that, that's common, it's frustrating, and it will get in the way of your growth plans for this year and beyond, but it's not destiny. We probably know of some businesses that we admire that seem to kind of have it all together. They may be phrases like, they seem to be on the same page. They're not perfect, but the left hand seems to know what the right hand is doing. The messages that are going out through marketing uh, tend to match the things that I hear, not only from the sales team, but I hear from their customers. They tend to talk more clearly. That's not a bunch of jargon or just talking about their business or how soon can we run the demo and do the deal, uh, but they tell stories. They give me a path to do business with them and they make it easy, it's comfortable. And through that process, they generate not only more customers and clients, but also more fans. And it becomes a real growth flywheel for the business. So what can we do to do less of the, of the commodities and the crickets and the cowboys over here where we've got this, this terrible gap between sales and marketing and be more like those companies that seem to get it? What is it that they're doing where is their focus that's a little bit different than everyone else? Well, based on my experience um, in my research, I'll, I've come to see that what those the thing is that's different about the high performers, the ones that don't have uh, that terrible gap between sales and marketing. And it draws upon uh, that, that 
PhD background from long ago. Again, don't don't hold that against me. Sometimes I read the research so you don't have to, uh, but it's very practical. And learning what I've learned about consumers and the way that our brains work over time. I've spent uh, four years as the chief marketing officer, CMO for a mid-sized private company competing against some really big names uh, like Nestle and the Coca-Cola company and, and thriving in that sort of environment. For the last dozen years or so, I spent most of my time working with sales teams, field sales teams and, and marketing teams to create messages that work, conversations that actually work to help them hit their numbers. And so uh, in many ways, uh, everyone, I, I kind of embody that chase toward alignment of bringing the sales and the marketing and the voice of the customer all together in ways that actually play out into growth plans. Now, along the way, we're going to address those three problems and the three pieces that uh, you need to bring together to make your message really work for the growth of the business. Now, I had someone tell me one time, you know, Jim, when you you bring in research and you bring in practice and some of the things that we hear from you reinforce good things that we already do, some things just kind of make intuitive sense and you give me confidence in that. Some of them, you violate some assumptions. You skewer some, as he put it, some sacred cows now and again. So I brought a cheap prop into this so you could visualize um, what I believe, what I've found to be, this is a this is a milking stool. doesn't look like much, does it? It's not beautiful. It has three legs to it. It's a sturdy foundation. If you're milking a cow and putting yourself on that every morning, you need something that's a strong foundation. And so I want you to think about a three-legged stool or a three-component process where the pieces all have to work together for you to get uh, your messaging right. So um, I'm going to take as a given that you've got the strategy set your go-to-market strategy, you know where the where the growth needs to come from, uh, that you have a good ICP, ideal customer profile or ideal client profile that's in place. Now, if that's not in place, oftentimes we say, let's go back to that starting point because we do need to know our business target and we do need to know where the conversations need to happen. But with that in place, now it's a question of how do we set up the right conversations? How do we get the meetings that we want? And then how do we lead those conversations in a way that's really going to drive the business with our best fit clients. Uh, so let's start as most organizations do want to start with the message. Now, when it comes to message, I think about a growth message. And what that means is a conversation. I'm going to focus really tightly, not on your logo, like corporate message, your overall branding and positioning the growth is really going to become a way that you can consistently master prospect and customer conversations. That's where you're going to get the deals and build the relationships and drive the revenue that's there. Um, let me tell you, and just again, from experience and from science, few of you might grimace. Uh, some of you may weep. Some of you may get angry at me, but your message for growth is not your passion. It is not your mission or vision statement. It's really not about you. That's just the way uh, that it tends to work. Now, I'm not saying that your passion isn't important. I'm not saying that there isn't a place for your corporate branding and positioning. Not at all. I'm not saying that your mission or your vision doesn't matter. But I can tell you one thing from research when it comes to your message. You don't want to be commoditized. There's research uh, that looked at 
several hundred corporate mission statements. And guess what? About 12 words described all of them. So there's a community and growth and service and customer and you name it, the usual suspects are in there. If you're trying to lead a message with your passion, your intention, if you're trying to lead a message with your mission, but your mission statement sounds like everybody else's, your message sounds like everyone else's. We don't want that. We want something that is tuned to the problems we solve and the people whom we serve. When it comes down to it, for the, that messaging leg of the three-legged stool, we have to fight against our own brains. Our brains are great. They are marvelous little mysterious machines. And yet, a couple of things to keep in mind when it comes to your message. Our brains are wired for pleasure and for comfort pleasure and comfort. They reward us that way, consciously or not consciously. And I think about pleasure. Um, did you know, I learned this when uh, researching some, some brain studies for my book, that the parts of our brain that are activated, that chemically light up when we talk about ourselves are the same parts of our brain that light up when we have a great meal or we even think about sex. It's pleasure. It feels good for us in the moment to talk about ourselves. So that's why we do it more than we should. The, uh, and we're also wired for comfort. We talk about the things that we know. We have confidence in the things that we know versus that where we think we might be exposed. And where that shows up in sales messaging and in your conversations is talking about our story or our mission or our passion or our products and features and functions that's not what we want to uh, to fall back upon. So we have to we have to fight against that and and be intentional about it. Use our brains in the best way that we can, but not fall back on what gives us momentary pleasure or what is comfortable in an uncertain environment. So there are a few things we can focus on here about what needs to be part of your message. First is specific words. We know from from history and we know from research over a couple of generations that some words, some phrases work better than others. Two generations ago, if we looked at what was popular and effective in print advertising, which is where a lot of the advertising dollars were spent, we found that certain words like you, yours, and new were the most popular and effective. One generation ago, if we looked at the advertising and the promotional messages in broadcast, TV and radio, which is where the bulk of the dollars were going, the most popular and effective words were you and yours and new. And if we look uh, to today in Facebook advertising and other digital marketing efforts, yeah, you get it. The most popular and effective words are you, yours, and you. They they hit our brains in ways that seem relevant and novel, and that's what we are attracted to. Too often, whether it be your website, your sales collateral, your demos, your presentation deck, or whatever guides you have for your selling conversations, they tend to probably go toward what's pleasurable and comfortable in the moment. You're probably talking about yourself a little bit too often. And so I want you as a first step in your message to take a, a good, hard, honest look at that and see, are we in fact orienting our message toward 
the people whom we help and the problems that we help to solve. Doesn't mean you can't talk about yourself. There is a place for it, but you don't want to over-index on that unknowingly and in a way that's going to hold you back. A second thing I want you to, to examine in your message is empathy. We hear about that a lot of your, your understanding of the customer and their situation. When it comes to empathy, why that's so important is its role in building trust and trustworthiness. I don't know any client or any audience member that I've, I've dealt with in years that hasn't at, at some level talked about how we want to be a trusted advisor. We want to be more consultative. We want people to lean on us for guidance and we want to be able to guide them in the right sort of way. Well, here's a psychological shortcut for you. When it comes to trustworthiness, what I found is that there are two factors in roughly equal doses that will help you get there faster. So the formula, the shorthand formula for trustworthiness is expertise and empathy, expertise and empathy. The expertise part is objective. It's kind of cool. Uh, it feels defensible. And those are your credentials, your experience, the slide of logos for all of the customers that you've helped in the past, your backstory, all of that is great. And, and it we tend to lean on that too often sometimes because, again, we feel confident in it. We can back it up. We don't feel like we're being exposed. But, but if we want to index the other way, how do we build empathy? How do we demonstrate our understanding? Well, it's not just by saying we care. It's by asking good questions. It's by sharing stories and examples of people and companies who are like those we're, we're speaking with and, and showing ways that we can help of making that path easier. So that's only going to come from conversation. That feels riskier. It feels dicier for most of us. So that's why getting a list together of good questions, of having good stories that we can share and some good listening skills and good feedback mechanisms are going to build empathy. So the trustworthiness is both the sense of I know or I feel like you know what you're talking about, but also that you get me. You understand uh, the situation and you understand the unique parts about me because you've listened to me. So looking for empathy and good stories, FAQs, um, questions that people can ask, that that's going to go a long way in your message to make you more effective. And a final thing, I touched upon it just a moment ago, that should be part of your messaging arsenal is stories. You've probably seen a lot. You might even use stories a lot in your own sales conversations. And, and it, they get to the ancient parts of our brains. Uh, it helps us to understand things that are complex. It helps us to understand where we fit in that. Donald Miller is among those who have phrased it very well. You are not the hero of the story. It's the customer or someone they can project themselves into that story. But I also have, have seen a, a, lot of, a lot of companies, a lot of clients and audience members that they lean on published case studies. And so often those things read like the great American novel. What we want to do is be able to take those experiences, sometimes get them out of people's heads and get them into a common format, a common framework for being able to share stories and knowing which are the right ones to share in the moment. So look at your message today. Honestly, maybe get some help from people outside of what you do. And certainly, 
outside of your industry, because again, the comfort level can come in. If you're using the same lingo and the same language uh, that exists in your industry, you're going to fall into that commodity trap. Uh, that is a, a terrible symptom. All right. So the first leg of the stool is message. We spent some time on that, but we need to get to the other two as well of how it ties together to people and what they do. So the second leg of our three-legged stool in the message management model is messengers, human beings, the people whom you want to be able to carry this message into their conversations and into their communities and into their relationships on a consistent basis. There are, there are a couple of uh, issues that I find that, that leaders and teams uh, tend to fall victim to here. And the first is that they, they don't think widely enough about uh, people who can be their messengers for, by personality type. And they also don't think widely enough about who can be good messengers by their role in the organization. And if the crickets are chirping, if growth is hard, that's probably a sign that you don't have enough messengers and you're not equipping them with ways that they can really help you develop more and better opportunities. One of the things that uh, is a real violation of assumptions that we learned less than a decade ago, uh, I saw a piece of research from Adam Grant. Many of you might know Adam Grant as a, as a popular author and speaker, but he's also an academic researcher at the Wharton School. And he went and tested an assumption that we have had for at least a couple of generations that extroverts are the best salespeople. They're the most persuasive people. They're, they're so self-motivated. They get energy from dealing with other people and they will knock on one more door. They will make one more call. They're bulletproof. Fill in the blank or how you want to describe extroverts. He wanted to test this assumption, though, and he did so with real salespeople and examined their behavior over a period of time and controlling for other factors like how much experience they had or did they throw out discounts, uh, et cetera, et cetera, how often that they worked. And he had also gave them uh, a validated measure of introversion to extroversion on a scale. Two very significant things came out of that result. Uh, and they were a surprise to a lot of people and, and surprised me to a degree as well. The first surprising result is that if you looked at one end of the continuum, the introverts over here and the extroverts over here, statistically, it was a dead heat in terms of their actual effectiveness in driving profitable sales over this period of time, controlling for other factors. Hmm, that was really interesting. And in some hindsight, though, a couple of people said, well, that kind of makes sense. I mean, extroverts have their own their own powers, their own motivation, the things that they naturally do well. They, they do tend to get energy from engaging prospects and customers. That's great. Unfortunately, sometimes they don't shut up. They're not asking questions. They're, they're going ahead too far forward, too fast. On the other hand, the introverts might, uh, might drain them to a degree to engage, but they also have good context. They tend to pay attention to the details. So oftentimes when they do speak up and when they do engage, they have something really insightful to bring to the party. But here was the second part that was really interesting as well. If the introverts and the extroverts were equally effective, what about people in the middle? It turns out they were the most effective and it wasn't even close. And it was a very smooth statistical relationship. The researchers in this case called those people ambiverts. 
Kind of like if someone's ambidextrous, they use their left and right hands equally well. Ambiverts uh, have one foot in introversion, one foot in extroversion. They kind of go back and forth, which matches the natural pattern of good human conversation, whether it's a job interview, a sales conversation, or just two friends talking. And so that was, um, that was really interesting. And here's the other part. Most of us are in the middle like most psychological characteristics is a bit of a bell curve. And so I went back, I actually asked the direct question to Adam Grant. I said, Adam, does this mean that most of us are naturally wired for good conversation? He said, yes, that's exactly what it means. So here's what I want you to think about in terms of developing messengers is don't think that this is a game just for extroverts. In fact, everybody has something that they can add to the party. And most of your people, whether they're your salespeople, they are in non-sales functions inside the organization, or they're people outside the company who can still help carry your message, they're in the middle. They're naturally wired to do this well. So how can we equip them? All right, here's another list, brief list of three things. For your messengers or potential messengers to be effective, to really engage and to do so consistently well, they need three things. They need knowledge, skill, and confidence. Knowledge, skill, and confidence. And not everyone's going to need the same base of knowledge or the same kind of skill. They do all need confidence, as we saw in that opening statistic here. So how do we do that? How can we take a message which is focused in the right way and conversational? How can we take a portfolio of messengers and potential messengers and get them the knowledge, skill, and confidence that they need? That brings us to the third leg of the stool, management. We've got message, messengers, and now management. Specifically, management habits. What are the things that we can do to keep the message fresh and make sure that we can land this thing and that it will continue to be a flywheel of growth for the business. When it comes to management, I, I recommend approach, uh, a playbook type of approach. So you need a single source of truth, of conversational truth, if you're really going to build consistency. If you don't want the cowboys and the cowgirls going all over the place and doing it their own way. So a playbook approach, you might call it something different. I've had clients call them conversational guides or messaging guides. One of them called it a recipe book, which I thought was kind of interesting. He's like, yeah, you want to pull in different ingredients and elements for different kinds of conversations. You just need to know where things are in the pantry and how to put them together. I'm like, okay. So, so a playbook approach, however you choose to label it and however you choose to get there is going to be the one to work. Uh, what you want to think about is something that, especially for your salespeople, but for anyone who you want to, to be able to spread the message, think just in time versus just in case. I find a lot of, a lot of businesses, large and small, have stuff that's just in case you need it. It's the product information, it's collateral materials, it's a list of questions, it's a scorecard. Maybe they have it in a portal, in a Dropbox uh, folder, they have it in a library someplace. The fact is people don't use it, uh, that are busy and they, they need to know, how can I prepare for a certain conversation? Hey, I've been trying to get a meeting with so-and-so from the finance office at a, at a prospect for a for a long time. I finally got the meeting on a Zoom call coming up on Tuesday. What do I need to know? 
which story should I share? Which questions should I ask? What insights can I bring into that conversation? What should I do? And you need a single source of truth in a playbook format that matches our busy nature and our cluttered brains and our desire to get a lot done in a simple way in a short period of time. So, uh, and here's where the alignment piece really comes in. When I'm helping people build playbooks or recommending how they do it themselves, if you want to do it yourself, this is a natural point of bringing sales and marketing together. You need sales and marketing at least to be those who create the playbook, the actual words and phrases and stories and questions and visuals that we want to bring into our conversation. And that will do a few things for you. First of all, you'll get the voice of sales in here. They can share with marketing what they're seeing and hearing on the front lines and also the, the kind of language they're comfortable in using themselves. And, and sales is going to learn from marketing as well because you'll get a better sense. Daryl, uh, Amy had mentioned a moment ago, sometimes salespeople will go into a conversation. They don't even know what marketing's doing. So you'll have much better alignment over other sources, other things that that your customer or prospect might be hearing from you out in the marketplace from different sources. Depending on the conversation that you need to charge up, you might also need to bring in a product expert or a subject matter expert, someone else. But whoever will lend um, their expertise and their language into the conversations you need to have, that's who needs to be involved in the process. And that will give you some juice because not only are you going to get a better message, but you're going to build credibility and momentum into the, into the change effort that you need to lead. And if you are a leader, what is your role here? So if you're the CEO, the founder, the general manager, the business unit head, you need to keep this top of mind. You need to make sure that this is a, uh, an initiative that is a priority and stays a priority. You need to model the very behavior that you want others to do. And you need to set up coaching and encouragement and socialization of all this, celebrating the wins as they happen and they will happen. So that way people know this is something that we are all doing together. I'm not on an island by myself. It's okay for me to learn what I'm doing. If I, even if I stumble a little bit coming out of the gate, we're going to get everyone together and make everyone better over time. And, and we're going to celebrate the wins. Uh, for people getting out there and doing it, and it will continue to feed upon itself over time. So message, messengers, and management with a playbook, just-in-time, clear, conversational, bite-sized approach to what you bring into your most important conversations to make sure the growth plan actually happens for your organization. So uh, oftentimes it's, okay, where do we begin? We got those questions for Meredith. Where do you begin on strategy? We got those questions for Mark Hunter. Where do you begin for your ICP? Jim, where do we begin with all this? Because it's a great aspiration to get on the same page, but how do we actually focus our efforts? I say focus on one or two or at most three key conversations. What needs to be said to whom in a consistent way to make those growth plans live? I'll give you just a couple of examples here that may help uh, illustrate the point a little bit. You can think about your own conversations. So one example was if you have a new buyer, you're, you're talking to someone who's different than you've been talking to in the past. For example, worked with a client who was in the materials handling space. Um, they dealt with forklifts and warehouse systems and racks and driver training. They had historically 
had their buyer as a warehouse manager. They used that sort of language. It was an engineering lingo uh, that made a lot of sense. But over time, the solutions and the offerings got more complicated and expensive, and they spoke to areas like risk management and finance in ways that they had not before. Importantly, that warehouse manager where the relationship sat could no longer buy from this company. I spoke with, um, with one of their top young salespeople, and he said, Jim, this scares me to death. I mean, I have these relationships here, and now my boss is telling me that I need to speak to a vice president of, of finance or a CFO or a risk manager. What am I going to say? I can get the meeting. My, my warehouse manager relationship can get me the meeting. But if that goes south, two very bad things happen. One is I don't get the deal and we're trying to expand what we're doing and, and get bigger opportunities. I don't get that. I also damage the relationship that I have worked so hard to build. That warehouse manager is not going to trust me in the same way anymore. So we needed to engineer a conversation toward a particular new kind of buyer, speak a finance buyer's language, offer those kinds of examples, offer those kinds of stories. And their goal was to, to boost their market share in a very competitive industry. And they were able to boost their market share by five percentage points in just a year's time. But it became um, that was a, a result is that they engineered a conversation very closely. One more example um, that, that may resonate with you as well. Uh, this was about gaining net new business from both a direct sales team and a partner organization. Uh, it was a company that uh, was, was a, a younger company that had a cybersecurity solution, but they didn't have a big sales team and they had something that was difficult to explain, very high tech, uh, and, but they found a distribution partner, a really big one, uh, HPE. But in that, in that sense, they had to sell to their third-party sellers as much as they had to for the end customer. So in their case, they had to engineer and figure what knowledge, skills, and confidence did those third-party sellers who weren't used to offering cybersecurity solutions in their portfolio of whom to get the meetings with and what did they have to say? They, they, didn't, they were in uncharted territory as well. So when this all comes in, think about what are the key conversations, the people whom you need to reach from your ICP, which messengers you need to best equip, and how you can make this consistent and powerful for them and build that into, into your process. By focusing on those key conversations, you'll bring sales and marketing and a lot of other parts of your organization together. And if there's one quick takeaway, Daryl, we'll, we'll bring it back to you for questions from, from our participants today, is that this is ultimately manageable. It can seem squishy and mysterious and frustrating, but you can manage your marketplace message. You can manage your growth message through people just as you can manage other parts of your business, operations and finance and HR, all those other, uh, all those other areas that you try to accomplish. Now, it won't be perfect, but here's the great news. It doesn't have to be. In fact, if you can just be consistently good, you will certainly stand out versus those who have the 8.1 versus the 3.9, and you'll be able to stand out more. You'll get better opportunities for net new and expansion and differentiation as you go. What a fantastic conversation with Jim Carr. I encourage you to go grab your copy of The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message, 
grow your business. This is a time where it's very critical as the market shifts, we need to shift our message. And this is a great point of sales and marketing alignment to work together on that message. Sales and marketing alignment is critical. So if you'd like some help in that area, I encourage you to go to www.2021alignmentchallenge.com. Get access to all of the sessions. Begin working through those with your sales and marketing teams. Find resources there. And most of all, let's get going and let's get growing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Would you like to get complimentary access to the Revenue Growth Engine audiobook? Just text the word REVENUE to 21000 or go to revenuegrowthengine.com slash book. You'll get instant access to the audiobook so you can get ideas to help you grow your revenue so you can scale your impact. Text the word REVENUE to 21000 or go to revenuegrowthengine.com slash book to get instant access. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you found ideas to help you drive exponential revenue growth so your business can make more of an impact. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to like or subscribe. It also helps us spread the word if you'd be kind enough to leave a review. Of course, we'd love it if you would share this with your friends. Together, we are growing revenue so we can scale our impact.